President Trump announced the United States would up the ante another 10% on the U.S.-China trade war. Meanwhile, the S&P retail ETF fell over 3%, the biggest drop since May. CVS is aiming to take on Amazon Prime with its new membership program. The pharmacy retailer announced last week it would be expanding its two-day delivery program nationwide after finding success in three pilot markets. And FedEx just announced it won't be renewing its ground delivery contract with Amazon. Is this a lover's business spat or are deeper issues at play? We've got the scoop and more on today's episode. It's Monday, August 12th, and this is your Retail Rundown. Today, we have two of retail's most respected thought leaders. Paula Rosenblum is retail technology analyst selected as one of the top 50 retail technology influencers. And Doug Stevens is a retail futurist and the founder and president of Retail Profit. Doug also hosts the Retail Profit podcast, which you can find on your favorite podcast streaming services. Doug and Paula, welcome to The Rundown. Thanks Thank so you. Thanks for having me. So before we dive into the rest of today's show, let's start with the big public breakup that everyone is talking about. And no, I don't mean Bradley Cooper's. I'm talking <laughs> about the split between Amazon and FedEx. We've been hearing a lot of news coming out of the Zon this summer, especially when it comes to carrier experience. In June, the online retailer announced its new delivery service partners program. It debuted its new electronic delivery drone and is currently working to expand its Amazon Air Fleet. FedEx didn't have to check Amazon's Facebook relationship status to know things were headed for the rocks. With its head held high, FedEx intends to make up for the lost volume by seeking out new partnerships with traditional retailers like Walmart. So, Paula, what do you think about this breakup? Is it uh, a big deal? I don't think so. I th if I remember correctly, um, Amazon represented a relatively small percentage of FedEx's business. And I know that I have a UPS membership, and I've noticed that um, most of my stuff seems to be coming via UPS when I order from Amazon. So uh, do I think it's a big deal? I don't. I think it's partly that, you know, they don't want to compete with themselves. They don't want to support a company that is doing its own delivery business. I also think there's a nice market out there for those who aren't just dealing with Amazon. I mean, if you believe that Amazon has 50% of the online retail marketplace, that leaves another 50% for anybody else who wants it. So I don't think it's a bad decision at all. Doug, anything to add there? Uh, yeah, I mean, I, I think it is a big deal, but not necessarily for the reason that might seem obvious on the surface. I mean, is this a death blow if FedEx moves away from Amazon? Is it a death blow to FedEx? Not necessarily. I think as Paula points out, you know, they could pick up that volume somewhere else potentially. But I think the bigger thing here is that Amazon is literally becoming not just a shipping company that will serve their own needs, but I think as, as is the case with most things Amazon, what they do is they actually scale a best-in-class service that they could then potentially portion out to other retailers. That I think that Amazon is not just moving into the shipping and transportation industry to serve its own needs, but much as it did with Amazon Web Services, this is something that could potentially become the gold standard in the shipping industry. And you might find that five years down the road, Amazon is actually a direct competitor to not only FedEx, but UPS and Purolator as well. And so we may find that Amazon is actually constituting an existential threat to a company like FedEx. And I just point to one thing that FedEx President 
and CEO Fred Smith said a while back, he was asked at a conference, and this is going back a couple of years, he was asked, are you concerned about the threat that Amazon could become a shipping company and a competitor? And he said, well, what you have to understand is that Amazon is a retailer. We're a transportation company. And I felt that that was the kind of thing you write on a company's tombstone. You know, I feel that he is fundamentally mischaracterizing Amazon and I believe Amazon is indeed a threat. So it's going to be very interesting to see how that plays out. But I think this could be a much bigger deal than anyone is giving it credit for being. Yeah, I think that's a really interesting point. And you're exactly right with Amazon Web Services. That's exactly what Amazon did is once they figured out the best in class approach, they then figured out how to open that up to customers. I think that you're seeing Amazon expand into advertising on its own platforms, but I think that that advertising will go farther outside its platforms as well. And uh, I think you're right that this could be something that goes beyond just the Amazon uh, shipments in the long run. I agree. And what happens is Amazon tends to come into an industry that it is clearly the outsider in. And what it does usually is it attacks the most pernicious problem within that industry and solves it usually using technology. We saw them do it with Amazon Go and checkout lines. We've seen them now do it with shipping by using Amazon Key. This idea that, you know, I can be away from home, I can be away from my car, and I can have deliveries made either to my house or to my automobile while I'm away. Uh, now, why didn't FedEx come up with that? Why didn't UPS come up with that? So leave it to Amazon. They come into a vertical, total outsider. They fix the wickedest problem in that vertical, and then they define the gold standard. I think they're going to do that with shipping if they haven't already. Can I just add one more thing on this, which is that I kind of don't agree. One thing that I have observed, and I wrote about it recently, is that the Whole Foods market near me went to self-checkout, and it's pointedly worth noting that it is not Amazon Go. Doug may be the retail futurist. I'm the retail pragmatist. I don't think Amazon Go has legs for a whole bunch of reasons, and if you've ever been a CIO, they're kind of apparent, which is that who's going to care and feed all that equipment in the store? Forgetting about the shrink issues, forgetting about the, the potential for misreads and, you know, customer complaints over saying, I didn't buy that, but you included it in my bag. Forgetting about all of that, you're talking about a store full of computer equipment, way beyond cameras and, and, and all kinds of sensors. And if you've ever tried to get a store to just track down a bad wire on a point of sale system, you know that the challenge associated with that. So I think Amazon Go is a PR play more than anything. I do. I think that a lot of the things they do are PR plays. And then the one area that's not a PR play is Amazon Web Services, which is clearly basically subsidizing their whole business. So I'm really much more cautious about believing the things that Amazon says or does even. Well, it's great to have different points of view. You know, I think we're both talking about how do companies evolve and change, and that kind of transitions us into the next bit of news. Lululemon gambled on food services and it appears to be paying off. The apparel retailer's new health and wellness restaurant, Fuel, opened in Chicago last month and is located in Lululemon's new experience-focused flagship in Lincoln Park. In addition to the in-store eatery, the 20,000-square-foot store includes meditation and yoga studios, high-intensity training, and plenty of classic retail space. 
Now we're only a few weeks in, but the early indications show that visitors are spending 16% more time in the new store. Lululemon is just one of a laundry list of retailers that are revisiting the store meets restaurant concept in an effort to attract more visitors to their physical stores. For example, Crate and Barrel also opened its first full service restaurant, Table for Crate, inside a Chicago area shopping center last month. While Ralph Lauren has been serving modern city club cuisine on the Magnificent Mile since 1999. So Doug, what do you think about this trend of bringing restaurants and retail together? So I think what we're seeing is the convergence of a few different ideas sort of coming together here. And then just sort of by way of story, um, a couple of years ago, I was speaking at a conference outside of London, and I actually met up with uh, Lululemon's VP of Innovation, who was there to talk about different products that they were launching and sort of bent on innovation that the company has. And we got to chatting, and I mentioned the fact that I was a shopper of the brand and that I liked their products. And he said, what do you wish we would do as a brand, just out of interest? And at the time, I said, I think you guys should open a hotel. I think your brand could translate over to hospitality. I think you have very, very sort of, you know, religious uh, users of your products. I think you have very loyal customers that would welcome an expansion into uh, food and beverage or hospitality. So I guess my first comment is I am delighted to see them do this because I think that this is something that, that will translate very well. I think brands are, when you get right down to it, they're not products per se, they are ideas. And Lululemon is a very compelling and very pointed idea around lifestyle and philosophy. And so I think it will translate well. I think the other thing that we're seeing is that food and beverage is increasingly becoming the lead story in a growing number of retail settings, that it is really a draw for consumers uh, in retail environments. We're seeing restaurant spending going through the roof. I think 2015 was the first year in which spending in restaurants actually equaled spending in grocery stores. So the idea of giving your customer a more full experience by offering food is a great idea. So we're seeing, you know, like Muji, for example, Japanese retailer is opening a hotel. They just opened one in Ginza in Tokyo. LVMH is also now embarking further into the hospitality industry. Tiffany just opened a pop-up in Japan with a restaurant. So definitely a growing trend and something that's happening more and more. Paula, anything to add on that? No, I think that's true. I think there's no doubt that food is a customer magnet. I think that, that Lululemon's hedging its bets a little bit against athleisure sort of winding down a little bit in terms of how hot it is. And if you notice, they've also got, you know, meditation studios, yoga studios. So they're, they're expanding the brand. And I've always thought that was a really good idea. And there's no doubt that food is a good way to do it, especially if it's healthy food. Yeah. Like you said, it's a bridge to target more consumers and grow their audience and reinforce the brand overall. Speaking of growing audiences in a recent move to target more millennial customers, CVS announced on Monday that it would be expanding its CarePass program nationwide. Trialed last year in Boston, Philadelphia, and Tampa, the CarePass membership program offers CVS customers a free two-day home delivery for a small annual fee. The results of the pilot revealed that CarePass members, 20% of whom are millennials, spent 15 to 20% more than other shoppers. 
But although CarePass's $48 annual fee is half the price of Amazon Prime's, will prescription refills and toiletries be enough to distinguish the program from other digital marketplaces? So Paula, what's your thoughts on this? It's half the price, but it's a very small segment compared to Amazon. What are you thinking here? Um, I think it's probably going to get them some percentage of people, as you've highlighted. You know, some of them are millennials, and they, of course, spend more because while they're thinking about it, they'll buy a toiletry along with their prescription refill. It's odd that so many are millennials. I would think this would be a baby boomer slash seniors opportunity more than it would be a millennial opportunity. So I guess it's got legs. It doesn't do it for me, but that's personal. That's not, you know, abstracted out to an industry-wide level. As a shopper, I have some issues around CVS anyway and the way they are when you go to the store, at least near me. But, but overall, I just think, why would you bother, you know? I don't I don't know why you would. Yeah, I also wonder a little bit about the two-day delivery when we know that everything is moving towards even faster delivery. I don't know that when I think of things from CVS, a lot of what I think about is convenience, those quick items that I forgot right. anywhere else. Um, and so if I'm ordering from CVS and not having a broader array of, of selection and prices from an Amazon, I'm expecting that maybe I'll get it quicker. And I'm wondering, I think that CVS did the buyout of all the pharmacies in Target, if I remember correctly. And I wonder why, as Target is pushing to same-day delivery, that CVS isn't getting on that bandwagon. Doug, any thoughts on either that or, or something else about this deal? Well, I mean, if you look at it from both sides, I suppose, let's look in the plus column, first of all. I think that CVS is clearly identifying the trend that, as I put it, membership is the new loyalty. I think consumers now are sophisticated enough, are tuned in enough to understand that, you know, you have to pay for something if you expect it to be of any value at all. And so we're seeing consumers voting with their wallets and saying, yeah, you know, this is important to me. I'll become a member of this. Amazon is really all the evidence you need, you know, 101 million prime members that spend two and a half times each year what non-prime members do. So that's great. I applaud CBS for recognizing that and moving over to it. The problem, I suppose, is that these are sort of half measures at best, you know, and we see this a lot. We see companies recognizing that, oh, Amazon is moving towards pharmacy. Amazon is taking out pharmacy licenses across the U.S. It looks like they could be a threat. Maybe we should launch some sort of pseudo prime program. Oh, and let's make it half the price, but we'll only offer two day delivery. So by comparison, as you point out, Paul, these things oftentimes will, will pale in comparison to what Amazon is doing. And I believe that Amazon from a convenience standpoint represents a clear and significant threat eventually to pharmacies everywhere and to health insurance companies. This is a market that Amazon very, very clearly wants a piece of. Why? Because there's just an absolutely inordinate level of revenue and profit available in this industry. And so, you know, I do see them as a threat. I personally think that if CVS were to really focus on something, what they should be focusing on is creating a far deeper relationship and conversation with their customers around wellness. That it's not just about getting my prescriptions as quick as I can. Sure, that's fine. 
But I think the opportunity for CVS is to say, look, we, we do stay in our lane. We are about your health and your wellness. And we're prepared to have a very deep and, and ongoing conversation about how to keep you uh, as, as fit and as well and as healthy as you can be. And with you know, upwards of 100 million aging baby boomers in the US, that's a conversation that they are certainly looking to have with someone. And I think that's the greater opportunity. So, you know, as, as I said, I applaud them for taking a stab at it. I applaud them for making a move uh, because there are as many retailers that are doing nothing. But again, I sort of view it as a half measure that doesn't really push them into the future. You know, the other thing that neither of us have mentioned, and it's kind of important, is that prescriptions are a same-day delivery kind of thing a lot of the time. They're not a two-day delivery kind of thing at all. And so, uh, you know, I think they'd be better off almost Uberizing it rather than doing, and then it gets interesting, that says we'll get you your prescriptions the same day and everything else is two-day. Because I know most of the time when I go to get a prescription, I use the drive-through. I don't even go in the store because I know what I need and it's a very sort of directed purchase. I agree with that, Paula. You either have to be prepared to sort of rise fully to the occasion and really set the benchmark or you know, you have to just sort of resolve yourself to the idea that you're not playing to win, right? You're just playing to play. And I think that what we've seen very clearly is that the market is now split very distinctly between two very different kinds of experiences. On the one hand, you have what I call a super high utility experience, where it's all about just identifying what I need and getting it as fast as possible, not having to think too much about price. And that is the area of the market that Amazon increasingly is dominating. But at the other end of the spectrum, you have the high fidelity experience, the experience that relies more on service, more on customer experience, that really involves a deep relationship with that brand. And I believe that's a space that CVS could potentially occupy. So they have to be very careful about picking the battles here that they can truly win. Yeah, I think those are great points. And, and I agree on what you were saying, Doug, about you can't come into this half-hearted. And also, Paula, I think we concur that what would be really interesting is that same day delivery uh, type service. Uh, but maybe that's where they plan to evolve to. I guess time will tell, but jumping in, I couldn't let the rethink rundown go by without talking a little bit about President Trump, uh, as he's always in other news cycles as well. But right now he's announced the U.S. is putting another round of tariffs on about a $300 billion worth of Chinese imports. That will be effective September 1st. The 10% tariff hike will most impact electronic and apparel retailers, says a group of Wall Street analysts. Abercrombie, Best Buy, Office Depot shares dropped about 10% following President Trump's announcement, while Kohl's, Macy's, and Nordstrom shares fell between 7 and 8%. The National Retail Federation responded with a statement saying that the flawed tariff strategy is already slowing U.S. economic growth, creating uncertainty and discouraging investment. The NRF also stated that additional tariffs will only threaten U.S. jobs and raise costs for American families on everyday goods. With 40% of apparel still being manufactured in China and with an agreement nowhere in sight, should retailers be looking at moving factories to other regions? How much of this is hype? How much of this is real impact? Doug, you have some thoughts there? Yeah. Well, I mean, first of all, the implication or the insinuation on the part of Donald Trump that somehow China is paying for these tariffs is <laughs> ridiculous. And every time he says it, it really just calls out his complete lack of understanding of macroeconomics. 
so consumers are paying this. Uh, this is this is a pass through from distributors to retailers, and retailers don't eat increases; they pass them on to consumers. So it's important that we understand that first. The second thing to understand, I think, is that you know the Chinese were making gunpowder a thousand years before people in the West were even wearing clothing. You know what I mean? Like this is a society, a civilization that plays the long game. They look at time differently. They don't respond to things in an off-the-cuff manner. They don't submit to pressure very easily. And so I think that what we're going to see is an economy, a Chinese economy that understands increasingly that it is the global economy. And secondly, that it is not only a powerful economy unto itself, but it's actually starting now to become less of an export economy and more of an economy that is based on serving the consumption needs of its own citizens. That manufacturers in China are increasingly serving their own growing market as opposed to just being an outsourced factory for U.S. or North American consumption. So when you add all that up, I think that this is absolutely the wrong way to go about bringing China to the table and affecting any sort of meaningful change in trade relationships. Paula, do you have anything that you wanted to add or jump in on that? I do, I do, and I want to echo everything that Doug just said, particularly about China playing the long game. I have been advocating for years that the U.S. needs to wean itself from Chinese imports. Having said that, you can have a goal in mind, but the theoretical question is, how do you get there? And that's where all the magic is, and that's where all the reality is: is how the heck do you get there? And it's very clear that this person doesn't have a clue. I mean, the objective of a tariff on a good day is that you incent someone to buy products elsewhere so that they don't have to pay the tariff. Now, the obvious question here, especially around apparel. And I wrote a piece about this this week. Is well, what's your or else? Or else I'm going to go where? Or else I'm going to do what? Or else I'm going to make things happen how? And with tariffs, the answer is I don't know. I mean, we are not equipped yet at all to bring production back to the U.S. I've been an advocate of bringing it back to the Americas for more reasons than whatever this is about. I mean, you have to be. Closer to the point of demand in order to respond successfully to consumers, and we have not been able to do that. So just you know, arbitrarily saying, "All right, we're going to have tariffs now," and pretending it's going to make a difference is an egregious mistake. It's terrible politics. It's terrible economics. It's just plain bad. And with all respects to my friends at the NRF, they jumped in bed with this guy because they warmed up to their tax breaks. And they thought this was a wonderful thing, and then all of a sudden things didn't go their way. Well, you could have predicted that from 83,000 miles away. You know, I feel badly that our trade association, in my opinion, has really let us down in this regard, like significantly let us down. So, yes, we need to wean ourselves from China. Yes, China plays the long game. And so we need to learn how to play the long game. And the long game isn't we're going to put in 10% tariffs in two weeks. That's not a long game. That's short-term something or another. So yeah, I agree with Doug, and I can't be more emphatic about what a bad idea this is. And I think too, Paul. I mean, we have to. It's one thing to say, you know, we have a trade deficit, 
with another nation. And when we hear those words trade deficit, the average person sort of assumes that that's a bad thing, right? Deficit just sounds like a bad word. But I mean, if you sort of ask the question, well, why do we have a trade deficit? Well, we have a trade deficit because we import more than we export to this particular country, in this case, China. Well, okay, it's because North America in particular is a consumer economy. That's what we do, right? We live a very, very high standard of living by comparison to virtually every other nation in the world. And we buy a lot of stuff. So, you know, what are we going to do? Are we going to turn to consumers and say, you have to stop buying so much stuff? Well, that's not going to happen. What we should be doing is asking, what can we do better in terms of exports? What technology, what intellectual property, what innovation can we do a better job of exporting to offset that deficit? But just simply saying there's a trade deficit doesn't necessarily imply that anybody is doing anything wrong. We're just buying a lot of stuff and we have been for about the last 30 years. I mean, I can remember I worked for a shoe retailer in the mid 80s and they wanted me to sign to a letter to Congress to give China most favored nation status because they wanted to buy more shoes from China. And I wouldn't sign it because I saw the road we were walking down and now we've walked down that road, right? And now we have to find a way to walk somewhere else. But that's the operative phrase. It's a process. It's steps. It's not just a decision. And we're in a pickle now. We really are. Well, speaking of pickles, we are running out of time. So (laughs) I'm going to wrap up. Doug, Paula, thank you so much for being on the show today. You bet. My pleasure. My pleasure. And thanks to all our listeners. And we look forward to bringing you another rundown next week. Thank you for listening to the Rethink Retail podcast. That's this week's Retail Rundown. Don't forget to join us next week for another episode. And if you're interested in being a guest on the show, apply at rethink.industries slash podcast guest. That's rethink.industries slash podcast guest. Follow us on Twitter at rethink underscore retail and show some love by subscribing, reviewing on iTunes podcast app. Until next time.